welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Your bulletin's out. You want to, um, I want to call attention, you want to follow today's sermon notes, uh, because I have some, uh, uh, I'm going to talk about, today begins a new sermon series for the next five weeks, and you, I really want you to be here the next five weeks. Uh, the Gospel of John, go ahead and turn your Bible to John chapter 3. Gospel of John has really some very lengthy conversations that Jesus has with a variety of people. And today we're probably going to be looking at the most famous of all Bible conversations in Scripture, and that is with a man named Nicodemus. I'm going to share with you who he is in a little bit, his, back, his, um, his background information. Next week, we're going to be looking at a woman who is a Samaritan woman at a well, an unlikely person. Um, and the title of this message is called Upside Down because what happened is all these people started out a conversation one way, and Jesus totally took it another direction. And it wasn't whatsoever what they expected. And that's what happens when we encounter Christ. You're, um, you, you come to the Lord, and you come to church, you go to camp, you go to children's church, and you're expecting one thing, yet you meet the Lord. And that's, that's what happens when Christ is involved in our life. And um, that's what we're going to see in this passage. So next week's a Samaritan woman. Then two weeks from today, uh, Jesus meets a woman called in adultery. And that was a giant twist there in John chapter 8. It wasn't whatsoever what uh, the religious leaders expected. But then Jesus meets a man born blind. They had never seen Jesus before and actually caused a lot of problems, but it was one that Jesus uh, performed a, a great miracle and he received his sight. And then in John chapter 11, on our fifth week of this, we'll be meeting a man who is dead. He met Jesus. So even dead people meet Jesus. They come back to life. Jesus brought him out of the tomb and Lazarus met Jesus as well after he took off his grave clothes. And all of these people, and the one with Lazarus wasn't so much about Lazarus, it was about Lazarus' sisters, how they, uh, they lacked faith and didn't believe the Lord. So all these uh, conversations, there's a massive twist in what happens here with Jesus. And that's the real goal in our life, because uh, if we're truthful about it, a lot of us come to church for different reasons. We come here because we need to get healed. We come here because we're having marriage problems. We come here because uh, we're looking to get married. We come here, I mean, you just fill in the blank. You need some money. Whatever the reason you, you, God has brought you here, you come for one reason, and then you encounter the Lord, and He teaches you and uh, instructs you in new ways. And that's really the goal of this summer series. A lot of times during summer, we tend to take time off in our relationship with the Lord and our personal faith, but this is not a time to ever pull back during summer. In fact, a lot of times you have more free time. You can actually grow deeper into the Lord and your relationship with Christ with that. So you want to open up your Bibles here in John chapter 3. And actually, there's in a little bit, we actually, if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can turn to Numbers chapter 21 too. So we're going to be looking at these two different scripture passages today. John chapter 3, that's our main conversation, and then we'll reference Numbers chapter 21. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now I want to tell you, we, we give Pharisees a bad rap because the truth is, 2,000 years ago, if I would have grown up was raised at the temple in the local synagogue there in the community of Israel, I likely would have wanted to be a Pharisee. And here's why. Pharisees were considered your religious elites. Those that were very driven, those that had a passion to uh, 
really pleased the Lord, people who grew up in a Christian environment, Christian home, young men wanted, they, they strive to be Pharisees. You say, Pastor, what is a Pharisee? A Pharisee is someone who makes a pledge in front of at least three witnesses to observe all 613 Old Testament commandments. There's 613 Old Testament commandments. This is in your bulletin, and you can follow along with this. 248 are positive. They're things to do. 365 are negative, things that you should not do. So what Pharisees would do is, now remember, they did not have the New Testament at this point, because Jesus is ushering in the New Testament. If you are growing up in Israel, this is what you are told to do. I mean, this is the natural thing. You're following your Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament. You want to follow God's law. So you're, you're a young man. You're going in. God's called you to be a Pharisee. You take this pledge, and you want to observe God's commands. There's, there, during Jesus' time, 2,000 years ago, there were roughly 6,000 Pharisees, about that many. So, you know, there's a large number. But of that group, there was an exclusive group of rulers called the Sanhedrin, and that means there were 70 of them. Nicodemus was in that group. Typically, the Sanhedrin members were guys who really knew their Bible very well. They really followed it really well, and they probably had money. So they were wealthy, influential people under Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is the same group that crucified Jesus. They made they, um, they uh, led the rebellion to make sure they got rid of Jesus. So Nicodemus is part of this. We know there were at least two believers of the Sanhedrin that se- were secret disciples of Jesus. One was Nicodemus, who we're about to read, and then at the end of the book of John, the second one's revealed, a man named Joseph of Arimathea. All these men showed up after Jesus was crucified. Nicodemus anointed him with oil and, and aloe, and Joseph of Arimathea, helped get a, a very nice tomb for Jesus to be buried in. Both these men helped Jesus off the cross, as it was his corpse, and prepared him, wrapped him in linen, and put him in a tomb. So those, those men had the wealth and the resources to be able to do that. That's who the Pharisees were. They were part of the Sanhedrin. It was a group I likely would have wanted been a member of that group. Uh, probably some of you, uh, maybe if you were extremely religious, you, it was what you thought was the thing to do. Now, what happens with this is the Pharisees, they wanted to observe the law. So how they got in trouble, and this is where Jesus really attacked them, they put additional laws on top of the current laws. So for example, uh, this is where Jesus really attacked the Pharisees. And they put these additional laws on top of them so you wouldn't be even tempted to break one of those 613 commandments from the Old Testament. Have you all ever heard the Billy Graham rule? The Billy Graham rule is a perfect example of a, of a rule on top of a commandment. So we have the uh, uh, seventh commandment is thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, Billy Graham, if you remember the famed evangelist, back in the late 40s, early 50s when he was becoming popular, he had, he had witnessed a lot of his friends and a lot of fellow evangelists. They had gotten involved, unfortunately, in sex scandals and it just brought their ministry down. So he had his ministry team set a command, a rule, that they would never be alone because these are married men with another woman. So if they were going to talk to a woman, it was going to be a public setting in the presence of other people. They weren't going to be alone or an office or an elevator. They'll take the stairs. So they never could even find themselves in the possibility of even being accused of adultery or some type of sexual scandal with that. 
Well, that's an example of the Billy Graham rule. The Billy Graham rule, the Bible doesn't say a married man can't ever be alone with uh, another female. Now, it might be very, certainly very wise, but that's an example of putting a law, a rule in place, a principle in your life in place to protect you from the seventh commandment. Now, those are very wise, but that's not, that's not from the Word of God. The Bible does not say that. So that area of those extra protections is a lot of times so much of the Sermon on the Mount and where Jesus would attack the Pharisees is he would go after them on these additional rules. And we're going to see here how Nicodemus is going to come to Jesus and pose this unusual question. John chapter 3, verse 1. You want to follow along here. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. A ruler of the Jews meant he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was part of the 70. He was, one, he was way up in the command. This man came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Why did he come to Jesus at night? He came to Jesus at night because Jesus was considered a kind of somewhat of an outlaw preacher. He was going around teaching in Israel and uh, he was not a member of the Pharisees. He did not get the PhD from the local university and had all the education they did. He was called by God. He was God. And it was one where uh, Nicodemus recognized Jesus was incredibly knowledgeable. And not only that, Jesus had the ability to do signs. He could perform miracles. And Nicodemus thought, okay, this guy here, Jesus, he knows his Old Testament. He can perform miracles. Maybe he's from the Lord. So he's trying to find out more. But notice the question, what brought Nicodemus at night a discreet conversation because Nicodemus didn't want his fellow friends to sense that why are you talking to this man? And he did call him rabbi. The word rabbi in the Bible means teacher. That would have been a compliment to Jesus because he had not gone to the schooling Jesus did uh, to be, get that official title. But Jesus, even though he didn't have the official degree on his wall, he certainly had the knowledge of, of doing that. So that was a compliment by him calling him rabbi. So he's asking this question, how are you able to perform these signs? You know, it's signs a lot of times that bring people to, the, to church, that bring people first to find out about the Lord. I mean, you think about it. If someone was here performing miracles and signs, if Jesus was right here healing people, and he walked in this room, and there were people of cancer, and he healed them of cancer. There were people maybe here who had never walked before, and he, he healed them, and their, their legs became strong, and they were no longer lame. There were blind people, and they could see. There were uh, just a lot of problems with folks. And Jesus, through his power, he was able to heal that. Now, just because Jesus heals someone does not mean they're going to heaven. It is possible for Jesus to walk in a sanctuary like this, heal a bunch of people, and all those people go to hell because they are not saved. I'm going to show you that here in the Bible. So signs and miracles and wonders, they do not heal us. or They do not save us. They might make us whole, but that doesn't make us spiritually whole. And Jesus is going to do that. So what brought Nicodemus the signs argument? 
you know, that's kind of like in our conversations. A lot of times when you talk to non-Christians, what really brings them out the most, if they start a conversation with you, especially with me, it seems like the first things they want to start talking about, non-blue, the Antichrist, oddly, LGBTQ issues, uh, second coming, when Jesus is coming back, uh, World War III, uh, destroying Israel. I mean, just bizarre stuff in the book of Revelation because you can just sense that's where they tend to go. They don't look at their own personal sin saying, Pastor, you know I've been searching my heart and I realize I'm a sinner. I need to get saved. That's not what non-Christians think. They want to know when the end of the world is going to come and who's the Antichrist. And you can, that, that's how a conversation begins. And that's what Nicodemus is doing here. He's going the signs and wonders routes. Now look how Jesus totally redirects that straight to the main focus. Because you, if you practice personal evangelism, if you talk to lost people, you have to do this the same. Because they're going to take the conversation off the deep end. And in fact, you have to prepare for that. You know it's going out there to la-la land, and you're going to nail it down and redirect it right to where it needs to go. And that's what Jesus is about to do with Nicodemus. Look at verse 3. This is how he... Now remember, the question is about signs and wonders. Jesus never addresses that. He doesn't even talk about signs one bit in this whole passage. Verse 3, Jesus replied... Have you ever had somebody ask you a question and the answer has nothing to do with the question? That's what Jesus just did here. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Can't see it. said, if you aren't born again, Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus asked, How can anyone be born if he, when he is old? So that meant Nicodemus is likely an old man. And he could have probably said this somewhat sarcastically, or he's very curious in asking this question. It's like, what are you talking about? Born again? I'm an old man. Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? I mean, there might have been a smirk on his face when he's asking that question, almost knowing, of course, no one you know, can be born again. You aren't going to go back in the womb. But that's not what Jesus at all is talking about here. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whoever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whoever is born of Spirit is Spirit. So when Jesus says you're born of water, he's talking about you're born of flesh, meaning you were born of, uh, of you have a mother. You're born here on earth. Every, every single human here, obviously, has a physical birth. You have to be born into the world. He says you have your physical birth, but then there's a second birth that everyone who wants to go to heaven must experience, and that is a spiritual birth. You must be born a second time. And he goes on to say, Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Meaning, you don't know how the Lord is working in someone's life. The wind's blowing, people are, are moving, uh, God's moving in people's life, and you are going to experience a second spiritual rebirth. You got your physical birth, but in order to go to heaven, you must be born again. This was an upside-down twist for Nicodemus. Nicodemus, his entire life, 
was told, in order to please God, in order to go to heaven, in order to be a good, obedient man to the Lord, you must follow the 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And Jesus is coming along saying, you know what you need, Nicodemus? You need to be born again. That's what you need. You need to be experienced a spiritual rebirth. Your life needs to be regenerated. You are spiritually dead. And following these 613 laws is not going to do it. He says, I'm ushering in something new. You're witnessing it, Nicodemus. Now, we get to the second part of the conversation here. So Jesus has now introduced this idea of, a bo- of being born again. And of course, Nicodemus doesn't understand it. In verse 9, he says, How can these things be? Meaning, I, I don't understand. What are you talking about? How can I be born again? Are you Israel's teacher? And you don't know these things? That was probably like, hey, you're the guy with all the degrees. Shouldn't you know this? Jesus replied, you know, Nicodemus didn't answer. Truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen, but you do not accept our testimony. I don't believe at this point Nicodemus is saved. He's still struggling with who Jesus is. If I had told you about earthly things, he's now going to make a contrast between earthly things and heavenly things. If I had told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Meaning, Nicodemus, you've come to me in the middle of the night and you're wanting to know about signs and you want to know about the things of God. You want to know about these heavenly things. But I'm not even talking to you about those heavenly things. I'm talking to you about earthly things. And the earthly things are, you need to be born again. You need to be regenerated, your faith. You need to have a spiritual rebirth. And so he's saying, why do we, we don't even need to be talking about these heavenly things. We need to talk about earthly things. Meaning, there's some things that for us, sitting around all day and dwelling and talking about the second coming and what, when Jesus is going to come back and what all the details are going to hide and what's the Antichrist and you know, make sure you don't use uh, cryptocurrency because you're getting rid of money. I mean, you just go down the list of, of fears and at some point, that's, that's not productive in salvation whatsoever. Our focus and what Jesus is trying to say and the earthly things you need to focus on is being born again. You need to get saved. Jesus is redirecting this. He's making a contrast, these heavenly things that you just sit around and think about and dream about all day, but it's pointless. He says, no one, verse 13, has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He says, and if I do want to talk about heavenly things, I am qualified to do that because I am actually from heaven. And of course, Nicodemus doesn't grasp all of this at point. Eventually, he does understand these things. He says, I have given you enough information of what is important. And what is important is that you experience a spiritual rebirth in your life. That's, he's, he, that's how he's directing them to priority. Jesus is reprioritizing Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of these people who thought, I need to talk about these things that are way up here. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't. You need to be talking about and examining your own life and where you stand in relation to God. You know, before we get to the next section, I want you to keep your finger here in John chapter 3. 
Because Jesus is now about to tell a story and reference something that Nicodemus would be very aware of. Turn in your Old Testament, turn back to your Old Testament, to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 21. Won't you follow along with this? You've got your finger in John chapter 3 in your Bible. And this is the story Jesus talks about. Now, remember, Nicodemus is an Old Testament scholar. He knows all the Old Testament Bible stories. He knows everything there is to know about Moses. He's memorized Numbers chapter 21. This guy knows his Bible. And Jesus is now going to tell Nicodemus about one of these stories. What happened here in Numbers chapter 21? Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. They get out, they go up to Mount Sinai, which is Mount, Mount Horeb, and then they start... They meet, meet the Lord. They get to Ten Commandments. They have some problems there, but eventually get, you know, keep moving. And they get out in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere, and they're literally just going around in circles, having problems because of their disobedience to the Lord. And at one point, the people, we won't read verses 4 and 5, but verses 4 and 5 said the people began complaining. And the reason why they're complaining is they're eating the same old food. You ever feel like your mother or your father, they just cook the same old stuff over and over and over. Like, come on, this is, we have the same old stuff. And they're eating the same old food, the same old scenery. They're hungry. It's hot. We're in the middle of the desert. This is miserable. Like, it's 110 degrees. There's no sunscreen. I'm burned. I'm not happy. I don't like the food. It's just not, not working well. So they start complaining to Moses. And Remember, Moses has been chosen by the Lord. They were in slavery in Egypt, and God delivered them out, and now they're grumbling. And look at what happens right here. This is the story Jesus tells here. He's about to reference this story. Look at Numbers 21, verse 6. So they're, 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 in verse 5, they're saying, The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread or water. We detest this wretched food. They, they don't like the church cooked. They, they're just not happy. No, nothing's going good. So then look what the Lord does in verse 6. The Lord sends poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The snakes, they're in the middle of the desert, start coming up and biting the people. And these snakes are sent from the Lord. Now, they did not have a hospital there. They didn't have anti-venom. So if you got bit by a venomous snake, you just got buried in the sand right there with that snake bite. I mean, it was, you had a short, short life. So all these people start getting bit by snakes. And then they realize this is from the Lord. This is not by accident. There's never been this many snakes coming out of the sand. The people then came to Moses and said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with us for the Lord so he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses, look at this verse here, latter part of verse 3. And Moses interceded for the people. That word interceded, that's what actually Jesus does on the cross. Jesus interceded for us on the cross right here. This is a picture of what we're about to see, what Jesus does on the cross. They, they cry out to Moses, Moses, save us. These snakes are killing us off left and right. So what does Moses do? Then the Lord said to Moses, he intercedes on their behalf. The Lord said to Moses, make a, make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten, he looked at the bronze snake and he recovered. 
Moses takes some, some bronze. He makes a snake out of it, puts it up on a pole. So if you get bit in the desert by one of these venomous snakes, you look up at the pole of the snake, and then all of a sudden you live. You don't die. Folks, this is a picture of what's going to be fulfilled 2,000 years later in that of Jesus Christ on the cross. We look to the cross and we are saved. That's why the cross is so important. Moses is holding up the salvation is in this snake because you've been bitten by it and the Lord will heal you if you look to it. Just like if you look to the Jesus on the cross, you will be saved. So now that's the background story that Jesus is going to use here to teach Nicodemus how to be saved. Now follow along here in your Bible. This is the last section we're going to read this morning. Verse 14. We're in John chapter 3 now. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Meaning, Nicodemus, you know that story in Numbers 21. Moses lifted up the snake. So me, the Son of Man... I'm going to be lifted up too. Not yet, but I will soon be lifted up for salvation. So that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Meaning we look to Jesus on the cross, what He did on the cross, so we can be saved. He's taking what Nicodemus knew so much in his Old Testament, the story of Moses and the bronze serpent for salvation, and saying, I'm going to fulfill that. You will look to the cross for my salvation. I believe also that's one of the reasons Nicodemus, when he realized Jesus was crucified on the cross, he thought, I get it. I understand what he's talking about. He was the one lifted up. He died for our sins. That's why he showed up the Pilate and says, I want to take his body down with Joseph Arimathea and we'll anoint him uh, for burial and give him a proper burial and, um, and put him in um, a tomb. So he understood later what Jesus is talking about. Look at verse 16. Most famous of all Bible verses. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. Everyone who believes in Him is not condemned but anyone who does not believe is, look at this, already condemned because he has not believed the name of the one and only Son of God. Let me explain this passage here. What he's talking about is that can be somewhat hard to follow, verses 17 and 18. He's telling Nicodemus, says, Nicodemus, the world is already condemned. Like, they're, they're not saved. They're already lost. They need to be saved. Jesus didn't come to tell people they're going to hell or send people to hell. By default, because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, because Eve and Adam both listened to the talking serpent, the snake, and disobeyed the Lord, every human has been affected by sin. So Jesus, obviously he knew this, he came to a condemned world to teach them how to be, teach us how to be saved. And that's why he says, you know, it's not because... I had to come condemn people. You're already condemned. That's what he's saying in verse 18. Do you know if you practice personal evangelism, do you know the greatest challenge you're going to run into is convincing someone they're lost. Is convincing someone they're sinners. And it, I want to tell you, it actually goes both ways. Because 
in our world, if you, if you, for example, you go outside today, and let's say you find, if you can find one, a transgendered man. So that means it's a woman pretending to be a man. And you go find a transgendered man in this city. And you talk to this person, and they're confused, and you say, hello, uh, ma'am, I just want to inform you that you're actually a, a woman. Uh, you're a biological woman. And then they look at you and go, no, I'm not, I'm a man. And you sit there and then get in an argument over their gender. So you would look at that person, and th that person, they don't know the Lord. They need to get saved. But here's the, okay, that's a lost person there. And they don't believe they're in the air. But here's the other problem with this. Then you go find a man down the street who will tell you, I know what gender is. I know the difference between a man and a woman. I, I made a, a B in biology. So I, I, you passed that class. So that man over here, he's a self-righteous man because he pays his taxes, he votes in every election, he owns a gun, and he, he drives a speed limit, and he owns a truck. And you find that man, and he's a good guy. He goes to work. He's a self-righteous man, and he looks down upon the transgender people because he knows they're wrong, and he's right. But that man is spiritually lost. He doesn't love the Lord. He hasn't been born again. He doesn't live for Jesus. He's dying of self-righteousness because he feels, I'm just being a good American citizen right here in the great state of Kentucky. I'm right and all those other people over there are wrong. Both these people here, transgender man, who woman dressed up as a, man, a, a, a woman thinking she's a man, and then self-righteous man over here who thinks because he votes Republican and he loves the former president, he's going to heaven. And that's giving him a ticket to salvation. Both of these people are spiritually dead. They're, they do, or they are not saved. There is a contrast between the two. And Jesus is coming and saying, listen, both of you two, you don't realize this, but you're, you're both wrong. You need to be born again. Jesus is taking the self-righteous and the totally lost and confused over here and redirecting them to gospel ministry. Because what's happening here, Nicodemus is self-righteous. He's observing the law to get his ticket into heaven. And then in two weeks, we're going to be looking at an adulteress who's just doing, uh, even next week, the Samaritan woman, they've had all sorts of different husbands and uh, sexual past, and they would be considered heathens, and they are lost too. Both of these people are meeting the Lord in unlikely circumstances, and he redirects them. If you go out and you want to share the gospel with somebody, your greatest challenge is to actually convince them they're a sinner. It is so hard to find someone here in Lexington that will admit, oh, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. Everyone I know, you too, everyone's doing great. They're all going to heaven, everybody you meet, no matter where they're out on the spectrum. They all think they're doing the right thing. They all believe that uh, they're good people. And they all the Bible tells us, are spiritually dead, according to John 3, 18. It says they are already condemned. That word is used. Look at verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus. And because people loved darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil, when we come to Christ, Jesus Christ calls us to repent. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it 
so that his deeds may not be exposed. Do you know when people try to cover their sin, Jesus is saying, who are you fooling? Like, you, you stand so guilty before God. Like, you're already condemned. Who are you hiding your sin from? The Lord already knows. You, he's, his, in order to get saved, you have to be exposed. And the, being exposed means when you confess, I need the Lord. I'm a sinner. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. People who get saved come to Jesus and he gives them salvation. Everyone who looks at the man on the cross, just like in the book of Numbers chapter 21, those that were bitten by the snake, and by the way, we've all been bitten by a snake. The snake isn't a snake that came out of the desert. The snake is sin. Because sin has bitten us. We were born into sin. We look to the cross and we are saved. So what here, wrapping all this up, how was all of this story, this conversation, the greatest story, greatest conversation in the Bible with Nicodemus, a nighttime secret conversation, how was this an upside-down event? The three things we learn from this passage and how it all applies to us, what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus. Remember, it starts out a signs and miracles conversation. And you know, Jesus doesn't even address that doesn't even want to talk about signs of miracles. Signs of miracles mean nothing to Jesus. That there, there is, requires nothing of him. All that does is that just engages you to learn what's most important. And that most important is your personal walk, where you stand about being born again with the Lord. Number one, the first thing we see that we're taught, we need a spiritual rebirth. That was a radical teaching to Nicodemus. When you go up to someone, as John 3, 3 says, truly I tell you, you must be born again in order to go to the kingdom of heaven. Born again. People have to know a time, a time in their life where they were saved. For me, I was 15 years old. I gave my life to Christ. You should know when you're saved. You know, you know your birthday. I was born on October 10th, back in the late 70s. But then I, 15 years later, I experienced a spiritual rebirth. When were you saved? When did you become born again? Number two, Jesus has told us enough to get saved. Meaning, this idea, that second part of this passage we read here, where we're talking about earthly things versus heavenly things. Nicodemus was coming in the middle of the night to learn some secret heavenly things. And Jesus leans in and looks at him and says, you don't need to know any heavenly things. I'm from heaven, and I'll tell you what some heavenly things are. Nicodemus, you need to get saved. That was it. That's the, he- that's the earthly things. The earthly things, being born again, is all you need to know. Meaning, we have to make sure when we talk to people about the Lord, that we're not off in la-la land talking about the Antichrist and really nailing it down, redirecting their personal walk with God. And number three we see here, we've all been bitten by a snake. We look to Jesus who is lifted up and he, has been, he saves us. We've been snake bitten. We look to the man on the cross and he saves us. And this passage here, Nicodemus goes in the middle of the night to have a signs and wonders conversation, and he leaves that meeting about understanding, I need to be born again. I am a sinner. 
and me following all these rules, being self-righteous, being a good, goody two-shoes, being a good man, being a good citizen, following the Sanhedrin, uh, being a, a, a noble Pharisee, it's not going to cut it. Being a good uh, American, loving our country, making wise decisions, none of those things get to salvation. Jesus Christ looks at you this morning and he says, you must be born again. And I ask you this morning, when is the time in your life? For me, I was a teenager, ninth grade, when I gave my life to Christ. I have a physical birthday and I have a spiritual birthday. My spiritual birthday was in December of 1993. I got saved at my house, actually, at home. I gave my life to Jesus. What about you? When is your spiritual birthday? And I want to tell you, anytime you hear a sermon here on John 3.16, the greatest conversation in the Bible with Jesus and Nicodemus, which totally points people, an upside-down conversation that points people to Jesus Christ, you need to have the opportunity. Some of you need to get saved. So all I want you to do is I'm going to lead us in a prayer for you to get saved. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And this is a prayer that is very similar to what we just read here in the Bible. And it is a prayer that leads us into spiritual rebirth, being born again. The Bible tells us we look to Jesus on the cross, just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake and the people were healed. We look to the man on the cross and we are spiritually healed as well. Leading us in a prayer. You pray along out loud or you pray silently. God can read our thoughts. He knows, our, he knows what we're saying to ourselves. Dear Jesus, I have been bitten by a snake. Lord, the snake is sin. I am a sinner. Jesus, I look up to the cross for you to save me. Thank you, Jesus for making me spiritually whole. Thank you, Lord, for letting me be born again. Jesus, I'm yours. In your name I pray. Amen. I want you to look up right there. The Bible teaches us if we prayed that prayer, we cry and call out to God that He saves us. No one who turns to the Lord Does he turn away? Does he not save? The Bible says, Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we do that this morning. If you prayed and received Jesus as your Savior, if you received finally your spiritual birthday, if you are here making a decision to finally follow Jesus, we don't want to be a secret disciple. You know, Nicodemus, just like Joseph Arimathea, up until the end of the book of John, did he make it public? Jesus calls us to publicly follow him. We don't want to be secret disciples. We publicly follow Jesus, and that's what we do to have our invitation. I want you to public. If you got saved this morning, you come walk this aisle, take my hand and say, I gave my life to Christ. I got born again this morning here at church. So we're going to stand up. Myself, we're standing up. I'm going to be standing down front. Zach Bauer's going to be standing right here. You make that decision today to follow Jesus and make it public.